What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Okay, you know, like at camps and stuff like this, you take the ball out. You ain't getting the ball back. <laughs> like, you the last one up the court. They already did their thing. So I stopped there, and I just got into a rhythm and started hooping. The Lakers should sign Trey Young this summer. They got to kind of start preparing for, like, if LeBron's last year is this year or next year, whenever it is. And I feel like a uh, pick and roll with AD and a guy like Trey Young would be deadly. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Moments like seeing my son's team cheer him on mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer or MBC, which is breast cancer that has spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrance, palbociclib. Ibrance 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR positive HER2 negative NBC as the first hormonal based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrance and visit Ibrance.com. Ibrance may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrance may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrance, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. On my high school team, we had five guys make the NBA. We had the county rocking. It's the mecca of basketball. There are those who come before us upon whose shoulders we stand. It's nothing that you can do to stop a competitive edge. It's just in the water. Welcome back to a special quarantine edition. We got a real special guest. What's up with you, Brody? With the virtual handshake. I'm gonna tell y'all something that I never told nobody. I want all the smoke. Welcome back to a special quarantine edition of All the Smoke with my brethren, Stephen Jesse Jackson. What's up, bro? What's up? What's up, my hermano? How you doing, bro? <laughs> you good? I'm good, man. Just chilling, man. I'm I'm, ex- I'm excited about this episode, bro. Uh, you tell you stole the words out of my mouth. Go ahead. I got I got I got I because you know it's some it's a big bro of mine. You know we we played against each other off the NBA court, but we I haven't had a begging session the last couple of segments. Ooh, I have I'm one be today. On, I'm gonna be on this begging segment, no question. <laughs> but bring him on in. Bring him on in, man. Without further ado, uh, one of my favorite players growing up, man. Let's killer. Uh, let's welcome Penny Hardaway, man. Thank you for your time and joining us today. Yeah, no, I appreciate you, man. Appreciate y'all appreciate for having me on here, man. My, my followers man. going up now. Yeah, that's all we trying to do. We trying to help you. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. So 15-year career, four-time All-Star, three-time All-NBA. You were a, a draft day trade, Orlando picks, 
C-Web, Golden yep. State picks you, yep. you're swapped out, and you're heading to Orlando. Talk to us about that. I know that the, the story goes a little bit back, or you and Shaq were do, sh shooting Blue Trips, which is one of my favorite uh, movies. Mm -hmm. Shaq was blown away by how good you were. He says he didn't know who you were before, but you know how Shaq be talking, so we don't know if that's true or not. But he said, <laughs> once uh, y'all started fit, he was absolutely blown away. Toward Orlando, they needed to get you. Orlando felt like they needed to team Shaq up with C-Webb. Shaq obviously got what he wanted, though, because you, uh, you were uh, drafted by, like I said, Golden State, traded to Orlando. What was it like mm -hmm. going to Orlando with the, with the new team and playing with Big Fella? Well, you know what's so weird is you said the word, you took the words out of my mouth. You know how Shaq is. Shaq knew me <laughs> when I was a sophomore in college. We played on the Olymp Olympic Festival in, uh, in Minnesota <laughs> that summer, the summer before I, I, I came out. But Shaq likes to, you know, he likes to make the story sound a lot better. That's my dude. Right. But what yeah. I did was when I got the blue chips, though, and started doing the movie, it was weird because I was having to try out for teams on the weekends, like fly out and fly back. So I'm like, when I go to Orlando... I'm going to rip this shit up, but all summer I got an audition with Shaq, so I didn't shoot the ball. I passed that motherfucker the ball every time. I was pump faking threes, dropping it to him with two people on him. I was giving him the ball every time just to say, hey, dog, this is exactly what you're going to get if you bring me to your team in Orlando. And that's what happened, man. And then getting down there, uh, obviously had a young squad, man, um, that was very talented and went to the finals in only our second year, but the audition to get there, I knew exactly what I was doing to get his big ass that ball. I knew that he wanted that ball every time. <laughs> hey, hey, we're definitely going to talk to that. We want to backtrack and, and take our time to get there. So how are you holding up? Uh, coronavirus, you know, everybody's in quarantine. How are you and the family doing? Man, everybody's good, man. I work out every morning. I try to get up every morning early, work out, and then I'm back on the couch, become a couch potato. No, I go to the facility. Uh, there's no one there but me. I work out. I come right back home. Uh, and then I get on the phone and start calling recruits, FaceTime recruits, and doing what I got to do. The job don't stop. Mm -hmm. What has that process been like, though? I mean, you had, we'll touch on it, but you had extreme, as soon as you touched the, the coaching scene, you had success. But five years, five titles uh, through your little high school run. Uh, we'll talk how you got to college. But what has that process been like? Did you ever see yourself turning into one of these coaches and out here recruiting these kids and, and, and doing what you're doing on the highest level? You know, it, it, it only hit me when I retired because when I was retiring, I was like, you know what, I might go to TNT, I might go to ESPN. Seriously, I was just thinking, like, I might just play golf and then do that in the fall uh, and just kind of enjoy life. And if you've seen the story, I had a buddy that had colon cancer, was dying from cancer, was a coach of my middle school team in my neighborhood, joined with him and started coaching and really kind of got a bug from that situation and then moved from there to AAU, AAU to high school and never once really thought about college until maybe a couple years before it really happened because I was really happy with what I was doing with the kids in high school. I'm kind of glad it, it, it happened with college because, you know, you, co you coached a kid that I was able to coach in the Allen Iverson game, Boogie Ellis. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, knew, I knew this kid was going to be good. But, but being in college and uh, how difficult has it been, you know, being able to have that experience with these young kids, but also the way the season has gone, you know, the season has stopped, y'all weren't able to finish. Like, even, even with the beginning of the season with, with the star player you had, like, talk about all that. Yeah, you know, when I saw that, I saw the AI game last year and I saw you with the young fellas. And I know one thing you're going to get with Stat, he's going to keep it 100. And I know you was, keeping it <laughs> you was keeping it 100 with him. And I saw Boogie there, and I was hoping that he could kind of get under you and AI and kind of get some questions. He a workaholic, man. And to me, he came in with high expectations. 
And he mm -hmm. put a lot of pressure on himself. And that's what a lot of kids do because everybody wants to be one and done. And right. he's a terrific kid. He's our, he was our hardest worker this year. And the season didn't go as planned. But guess what? He didn't quit. He kept grinding. Mm -hmm. He never stopped his work. And that's what I love about this, this level because sometimes you got to get it out the mud. It's just not going to happen with you coming in one year and then going, mm -hmm. in, and going on to that next level. Uh, it's mm -hmm. not as easy as a lot. It's not as easy as a lot of people try to make it seem. So, yeah, it's been fun for me this experience because I'm feeding back me, Mike, and me and Mike are feeding back into the kids everything that we've learned. I feel like it's a cheat sheet before they get to that next level if they're capable of playing on that level. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Talk to us a little mm -hmm. bit about losing Wiseman with the NCAA rule violation and how weak we all think the NCAA is. Jack didn't even, Jack said, fuck the NCAA. I'm not even <laughs> messing with you. I'm going straight to the league. But talk to us a little bit about that process because that kid was a monster from the beginning. You got a little taste of him. I'm sure you got to see a lot in practice and then the NCAA suspends him over some bullshit. Yeah, man. You know what? That was crushing uh, because James is just uh, pretty much an innocent bystander. There was nothing malicious with that that happened, but obviously they can paint any picture how they, however they want to paint it. And for that kid to have to sit out 12 games uh, was devastating. Obviously, he fought it when he got a restraining order from the courts to be able to fight the first three games until they kind of gave him uh, what his ruling was going to be. And, you know, they actually pushed him out of college. I don't think that's what Absolutely. the— I don't think that's what it should be about. I don't think you put kids in a position to try to choose whether to stay in school or leave school while they're already there because you're— you're doing things unfairly, and that's I'll just stand on that. But I had his back 100%, um, mm -hmm. and when he left, man, it crushed me because I knew that he needed to be there. He wanted to be there, but right. it, just, it was just too overwhelming with what happened with the NCAA, man. And I know you can't speak on it because you worked somewhat, you know, closely with the NCAA being a coach, but, you know, from an outside look in, I just think they're destroying college sports, you know, with the way they're making so much money off these kids, not barely giving them anything back. They're starting to try to make them pay a little bit here and there, but just really making it unfair. And now you're seeing kids make that jump. You know, kids are going straight to the G League now. Kids are going overseas now. They're avoiding college. And, you know, to me, I had a, college was the best time of my life outside of having children. I was blessed to play, you know, 14 years in the NBA, but college was a blast for me. I'm sure you can speak on to how fun college was, but the NCAA is fucking that up for kids with their outdated slave mentality rules. You know, it's, it's funny that you say that because college was the best time of my life. And I know people go, man, you made hundreds of millions of dollars. How can you say college was the best? College was the best time of my life. It was mm -hmm. because everything was so pure. And right. you're with, you with a, group of, a group of guys that are all on that same page and pushing towards the same goal. And the fan base, the college fans are just amazing. And, mm -hmm. it, and if you're blessed enough to be on a team good enough to make a run in the NCAA tournament, that makes it even better. But I understand why kids are choosing other avenues now because it is very tough on this level. They're making it extremely tough. Switching gears, talk to me about the 2020 Hall of Fame uh, class with Kobe. Duncan and KG, arguably one of the greatest uh, inductee classes we've seen. What are your thoughts on that uh, 2020 class? Man, it's just phenomenal, man. Unfortunately, what happened to Cole, uh, still almost like shocking to me on a daily basis to understand that, right. understand that that happened. But to have that class with KG and, T and Tim and mm -hmm. Kobe go in together, mm -hmm. man, that's, that, is, that is phenomenal, man. I know it's going to be very emotional on a lot of yeah. levels that day. And guys that are going in like KD and Tim, they're going to have to, you know, lock in on, hey, this is our moment. But when Kobe's opportunity comes, man, it's just not going to be a dry eye. Mm, in the, yeah. on, you know, or nothing. No matter if you 
respected him from the point of view of who he was as a fierce competitor or whatever it was, you know that that dude was just unreal and to not be here to even receive that, you know he wanted to be, he would have, that would have been, he would have had a smile so big on that day. Oh, no question. Yes, sir. You know, no yes, sir. And to, you know. see, to see that not happen, that's crushing. Yes, you know, he would have had an amazing speech ready for everyone. Reflect a little bit on uh, Kobe as a competitor. Uh, did you get a chance to know him well, on or off the court? Uh, what was your experience like with him and against him? You know, it's funny. I have a, a weird Kobe story, and I have to say two, two of them really quickly. I met Kobe when Kobe was in high school, and I didn't know who he was. Obviously, I'm the man in, in, in the NBA. I got the little penny commercials. I got my signature shoe. I'm on top of the world. I'm first team all NBA. And he came to me after a Sixers game and asked me what he should do on going to the draft. And man, I didn't know, I had never known who Kobe was. And I felt so bad afterwards because he asked me, should he go? And I was like, well, he was like, well, should I go? And I said, I don't know, young fella, you might need to go ahead and go to college. This is Kobe Bryant. And he was like, well, they're telling me I'm gonna be lottery. I said, well, if they're telling you you're gonna be lottery dog, then you should go. I changed that because I didn't, I didn't know who he was. And a couple years later, he's in, in, the, in the league he never forgot that conversation. Of course not. Magic Johnson. <laughs> hold on, listen. Hold on. Magic Johnson has uh, an all-star game in the summer. Everybody knew those those Magic Johnson games were crazy. Mid midsummer nights. Midsummer nights. So I'm in that game and Kobe calls me out. I said, "Oh shit, this dude remember." <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he remembered that day in Philly, and I just didn't take it like he did, obviously. But all he needs is a little. A little something to just get that that mm -hmm. that momentum going on. I'm getting you back. You didn't believe mm -hmm. in me. You didn't you didn't know me. And we went at each other in the in the magic game. Obviously, he was a young pup. I got the best of him in that game. But he did come to me and go, you know, I want to learn. I want to be the greatest. And I knew then though that he was just going to be unstoppable and unbelievable moving forward. But yeah, he mm. that's my Kobe story right there. Mm. I love it. Yeah. And that's all Rest he looks. He looks for little shit like that. Little chips, yeah. something to add to his like, okay. Anything. Yes. Okay. Penny yeah. Hardaway. I'm going to see you in a couple <laughs> years. I'm going to catch up with you. He definitely wrote my name <laughs> down when he left the Sixers game. Like, I got to get this dude. <laughs> that's funny. Jordan returned back to the game in 95. Did y'all want to play the Bulls in the playoffs when he returned? Man, you know, the, the biggest thing was when M first came back, and I was like, he's back. Like, I wanted to play against MJ, and then he retired before I came into the league. Mm -hmm. Then when I came into the league, he comes back. So my first mindset is, damn, MJ's back. And then I snapped out of that <laughs> shit. I snapped out of that shit real quick. Like, all right, you got to go in his ass. You got right. to get his respect. Because this was my favorite player, along with Matt. Magic was number one, but MJ, who, who didn't like MJ? So when he came back, and we played them for the first time, I got the best of him and Pip that game. I think I had 36. And I was so, Ooh. I didn't even sleep that night because I was so hyped and ready to play that game. And we won, but I think I only pissed him off. I pissed him off. <laughs> I know that for sure. But it was early in the season, and we were one of the first teams in the early in the season to beat that 72 and 10 team. We were one of the 10, and that's the game I had 36. Shaq didn't play that game because mm -hmm. he was hurt, and I remember that game very well. But as far as the Bulls, man, it was, it was really, you had to get your sleep the night before, honestly, like moving forward, if you're gonna play those guys, because they were just relentless. They, they pulled out every one of your weaknesses. If you weren't a baller, you weren't a jump shooter, they were gonna make you shoot jump shots. If you tried to get to the basket, they were plugging the paint. They just were not gonna give you your strength and what you really love to do. And they were just, 
they were relentless at all times on what they needed to do. And then offensively, they ran that triangle to perfection. So mm-hmm. to me, as a competitor, I enjoyed every game against them because you knew you were playing against greatness. Mm-hmm. Now, looking back on it, because like I said, I think obviously once you get in, in, in your career and you're a, like a hamster on a wheel, you keep looking, you keep moving forward. Looking back on that and how long ago it was and putting yourself back in, in, in that young penny, what are your thoughts kind of seeing behind the scenes? Because we talked about it before, like social media now, fans are so spoiled, they get to see everything. Yes. I mean, from, from motherfucking tying your shoes to going to the bathroom. <laughs> back, back then, you didn't get to see no behind the scenes. And, and like you said, Jordan was one of your favorite players, one of me and Jack's favorite players. What are your mm-hmm. thoughts kind of looking back and seeing the ins and outs of what was going on with that team? Two things stood out right away when I looked at that. The first thing was... How they treated the GM. Them boys was hard, bro. Oh, they were on his motherfucking ass, right? I don't even know. You got the balls. I mean, even you guys can attest to this. I don't know who had the balls to talk to their GM the way that those boys did, first of all. No, right, right. Only and only then, a handful of players could even talk like that, period, <laughs> to a, some kind of upper management. And secondly, I was trying to figure where the hell I was when Scotty set out the first part of the, that season. I'm like, what was I doing? Not knowing. I didn't remember that Scotty set out the first part of that season and what was yeah. going on with the whole deal. I'm in yeah. my prime. I'm playing. I'm thinking. I don't. I, I looked at that and go, damn. Why don't I remember Scotty not having surgery in the summer and having surgery during the season and having a contract dispute? I I, I don't know why I don't remember that. Cause you were too busy busting people's ass. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I didn't remember that. But I thought that was kind of. I thought that was kind of messed up though. Cause Scotty was a. He was a motherfucker. Oh, wasn't yeah. it? Both both ends. Yeah. Right. Let's take it back to where it got started. Uh, born and raised in Memphis, playing outside in them hot ass basketball courts. What kind <laughs> of competitor? Man, what kind of competitor and mental approach did that install in you at, a, uh, at an early age? They don't well, know I mean, about that Midwest humidity, uh, Penny. They don't know about that hey, humidity out here. Hey, man, I'm talking about you losing eight pounds a day, eight to ten pounds a day. I, <laughs> I, was, I was already skinny as hell, so I didn't need to lose no more. No more. I, I go out there. My shorts would fit by the time the hoop session was over. My shorts didn't fit. Them jokes was falling off me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but I think that, you know, everybody wants to stamp their hood or stamp their city like, hey, man, you had to get it when you went to this court or that court. But I got blessed because the city of Memphis, on every street corner, every park, the, it, it was like no fouls. It was mm-hmm. you had to hoop. If you mm-hmm. weren't proven, you couldn't get on mm-hmm. the court. And a lot of times mm-hmm. with the older cats, you had to pass the ball a lot and play defense and get that get that ball to the people that was really doing it until yeah. you got your chance. So you had to build that reputation with the guys before they even allowed you to start shooting it. And that made me tougher. That made me mentally tougher, physically tougher, because there were no fouls and you had to defend. And that that era, it, it was. I'm so thankful that I grew up in that type of era, though. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Decorated high school career, your senior year, you averaged 36, 10, Damn. 6 assists, 4 steals, and 2 blocks. You did everything. You were named Parade uh, Magazine Player of the Year. What went into your college decision? Did you not want to go far away? Did you? Wh- what was your thoughts on just basically going right up the street? At the time, it was Memphis State, correct? Now Memphis? Yeah, yeah. Uh, first of all, I had my, all my relatives were doing the scorebook, so they, they made me look good. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so if I if I didn't have it, they they still put it down. But no, but uh, uh, honestly, I think just I fell in love with the teams in the '80s, the Memphis Tigers in the '80s, the late '80s. Like when I was in eighth, ninth grade, they made that run where they went to the Final Four a couple years. They had an unbelievable team, and I kind of fell in love with that team. And I I wanted to go there from like eighth grade all the way up. I kind of fell in love with that group. And it didn't matter how, 
how good or bad the team was when I, when I knew I was going to come out. Uh, I just said, man, I want to do this for the city, stay home, and then try to do it myself like those guys did. And my team was all Memphis guys. We had 15 oh, really? guys okay. from Memphis. Damn. And we went one game from the Final Four. We lost to Cincinnati in the Elite Eight. They went on to play Michigan. Michigan, that's when Chris Webber called a timeout against North Carolina. Mm-hmm. That whole thing. Uh, but honestly, my decision came in because I wanted to stay home and make a difference. I felt like if I, if I stayed home, that I would make a difference for my city. I love that. So 90-91, it doesn't get off to the way you planned. Uh, you have to sit out due to academic uh, problems. While you're sitting out, you're, you're, you're uh, held at gunpoint, shot in the foot. I'm sure that changed your perspective on everything. Talk to us about that rough start. Like you said, your whole thing was to put on for the city, give back to the city, better the place. You get there, it doesn't start the way you wanted it to, and then on top of that, you get robbed. Yeah, I think that uh, going back to being a Prop 48, uh, I was never a kid that couldn't do work. I was never a kid that, that didn't really focus in the classroom. My senior year, I got caught up with the wrong group, and everybody understands that. I got caught up with the wrong, mm-hmm. with the wrong cats and started really hanging out and doing things that you're not supposed to be doing, things that I've been taught not to do. And I kind of let school kind of bypass, like, oh, I'll get to that, but I'm in the streets. So mm-hmm. that's the same thing that happened to me my freshman year. I got in, I didn't pass the ACT, I didn't take it seriously. And then when I didn't pass, I went to school, and my freshman year, kind of hanging out with them same guys a little bit, got me caught up in a situation where I got robbed, and then I got shot. So that's the side of me. From that point, it was like, all right, dude, you got to make your mind up on, do you want to do this side or do you mm-hmm. want to do this side? And mm-hmm. that bullet made Can't a lot of both. sense to me. That bullet made a lot of sense to me. <laughs> and I said, you know what? It's time to just go ahead and do what I need to do. Man, I got a promising future, and it's time to act like I know I have, I've been raised right. And, and that's what mm-hmm. happened, though. But it was, it was an eye-opener, though, sitting out uh, after being robbed and, then, and getting shot while I was sitting out. Mm. There definitely wouldn't have been a little penny in the streets. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> no, sir. No, sir. So, What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have ticked it off? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. Like that, see that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because it ain't it? <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the One Million Black Businesses Initiative. The One Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale 1 million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field. From free business coaching 
to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Ninety-two, man, you get back on track, make the dean's list. Your team makes it to the elite eight. You lost to uh, uh, Nick Van Exel, right? Cincinnati. Yep. yep. Ninety-two summer, you get a chance to play for uh, the the USA development team that gets to face uh, the dream team, and that was a hell of a team, man. And I heard stories. I want you guys to get to that, but I want to name a few players who are on that team: Chris Weber, Bobby Hurley. Jamal Mashburn, Big Rodney Rogers, Eric Montrose, Grant Hill, Allen Houston, and you guys get to go against the dream team. Everybody's all-time favorite team to watch. You know, a most talented team we've ever put together. What was it like in those battles? Because you guys are young and up and coming. I know you. I know Webb was out there talking shit. You got your swag. You guys had a lot of young talent on that team. What was it like going to battle against them dudes? Man, first of all, you get starstruck as soon as you walk in the room. You, we, we, we check in and you walk in the room and you see Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, David Robinson, mm. uh, Charles Barkley, Clyde mm. Drexler, John Stockton, all these guys. I'm like, oh my God. Like, But then you, again, you say, I don't want to embarrass myself with these cats. So once we get to the court, Magic... John Stockton, y'all gonna have problems. I don't care. I have to. I have to show y'all I can ball. And that was my right. mentality. I have to show y'all to get the respect from these guys. And man, we all went out there with that mentality that if we if we gonna be out here, we gonna we gonna ball out. And the first scrimmage that we scrimmaged them like a real scrimmage, we smacked them because they didn't take us seriously. Mm-hmm. Like we out there talking. I mean, you know, C Webb, C Webb out there Big talking shit. so much, and <laughs> he he pissing them off. But we having so much fun. The next day we come back after beating that ass, them boys were so much more physical. The first day wasn't as physical. The second day it's like they told the referees, y'all better not blow y'all whistle one time. We about to, <laughs> we about to beat these <laughs> hey, I'm talking about they beat our ass, man. And it was just a lesson learned. Like, we caught them off guard. But the whole experience of that whole time spending with them, though, was you could just tell they were just professionals. They mm-hmm. took their crafts so serious and that just kind of just resonated with me just man if you're gonna make it to this level you got to be about your business and it was a great experience for me and the rest of the fellas Mm -hmm. so you return after that experience i'm sure you're on cloud nine you return for your junior year you average 23 
eight and a half, six and a half assists, two steals, playing out of your mind, All-American. You make the, you know, you're uh, on the finalist list for player of the year. What was it like? I, I think it was dope. I never knew that, that you had a whole Memphis squad. Tell me what your time at Memphis, that was a culmination of it, but tell me what the time at Memphis was like. Coming back from that, that, that USA uh, select team, man, can you imagine? I was on cloud nine. I was like, I don't give a damn who come at me. I just played against <laughs> right. Magic. I just oh, played yeah. against Bird. I just played, come on, man, Stockton. I mean, I'm ready. So I came back into the season so locked in. I mean, I think, I don't know if I missed a day in the gym because I was just so locked in on that's where I need to be, that's where I want to be. Uh, and then coming into the season, like you said, with a group of guys that were just basically saying, you're our guy, we're going to follow you. And I had, some, I had some good talent on the team. They weren't large names, but they mm -hmm. could really play the game, and they were tough. And, man, riding that wave that year, man, I was ready to lead. Uh, we had gotten David Vaughn from Nashville. He was the guy that the only outside Memphis guy was really David Vaughn. He was from Nashville a couple, couple mm -hmm. hours down the road. And, man, we just went to work, man. We had an unbelievable season. And like I said, it ended in the Elite Eight, but there was nothing like that run, man. Not even going to the finals to play against Houston in my second year was anything like that run that we made the NCAA, man. It was just, it was different. That's dope. That's, that's, like, people don't understand unless you get a chance to experience how fun college was. And it's almost going to be a foregone conclusion now for majority of the top, top athletes because, first of all, because the policy of the uh, NCAA, but the G League keeps getting sweeter. You're seeing people like LaMelo Ball going overseas and doing what they're doing and buying his team and coming back and getting drafted. So the grass looks greener on that other side, but... For someone like me, you know, who, who did four years of college, you did three years of college, you know, we both can contest, man. College was, like I said, outside of having children, man, it was the, it was the best time of my life. And I, I, it disappoints me, one, because the competition level isn't what it should be, but just to know that guys aren't going to get that last chance. Everything now is so strategic, and it's money, and it's you can risk this, you can risk that. Back then, we just wanted to play. We wanted to play with our homeboys. We wanted to go have a good time and then hit the NBA. But now it's... Skip that little middle part. Let's get, get to the NBA. So, 93, you're drafted. Uh, shake David Stern's hand. What's that moment like? Man, come on, bro. I came out of a dorm room with a twin bed. And you know when you <laughs> shake David Stern's hand that you know you're about you to get a mansion. You're about to, yeah, I'm, I'm done with that twin. I'm done with that twin I'm about, to, I'm about to get a mansion. <laughs> yeah, I'm about to get a mansion. now. no, no, seriously, though. It was just a dream come true to just shake his hand and say, God, thank you for the opportunity because... This is what dreams are made of, man. When you, when you see it early and you work your ass off to get to it and you get to it, that's a, a lot of people can't say that, man. So when I shook his hand, it was like, man, thank you. Thank you. I, I've, I've arrived. Mm -hmm. Now, I read some things. Did you want you wanted to get to Orlando to play with Shaq? Or was that, what, is that where you wanted? Where did you want to go in the draft? Not that you really had a choice, but was that somewhere you wanted to go? I wanted to get to Orlando because I was thinking about the Magic and Kareem you know, okay. type of situation. It wasn't that I didn't want to play with Spree and Tim Hardaway. It was just mm. I felt like I would be better with Shaq and that, and that tandem, and it worked mm -hmm. out for everybody. Mm -hmm. When it happened, Definitely. when it happened, how excited was you when it happened? Man, when they told me that it was going to happen on draft night and I shook Chris's hand and I knew he was going, going to Golden State and I was going to Orlando, man, I, I just, I never stopped smiling because I was like, everything, <laughs> right. I wanted to play with Shaq. I wanted to play mm -hmm. with Shaq. Mm -hmm. So, Rookie perfect. of the Year, your first year, Rookie of the Year, take your team to 50 wins, playing all 82 games, which is unheard of now. Um, what stood out to you most your rookie year, and, and when did it really start clicking? Because, I mean, you hit the floor running. Yeah, you know, coming in, getting with Shaq, getting with a team uh, that was on the up and coming, I was basically just saying, man, it's time for me to just stamp my name now. Uh, a lot of people didn't really know me at Memphis State, 
And I was like, now, nah. and then uh, Orlando Magic drafted me and traded me for Chris Webber. Everyone knew Chris Webber. So mm-hmm. uh, I was ready to just kind of stamp my name and say, it's time for me to make my mark on this league with Shaq. And it's time to win a championship. So that I was really just locked in every single night. I was so amped and ready to go against it didn't matter who it was. It's a different game. Now, who were some of your vets and, and mentors um, in, in, on that Orlando team? Well, Nick Anderson was was definitely a mentor. Scott Skiles was a mentor until we traded him. But Nick and I kind of drew drew to each other because I was a fan of those Illinois teams when he played at Illinois. They had squads. Him mm-hmm. and Kendall Gill and Lowell Helm, all those guys that played at Illinois, they were, man, they, I think their smallest guy in the starting lineup was like 6'7". 6'6". Six, six. That might have been Stephen Bardo and Nick. So I was like, I've always been a fan of his. So when I got to Orlando, and then I, I was a fan of Ben Ben Wilson. They mm, got killed rest, in rest, Chicago. Rest in peace. Yeah, rest in rest peace. In peace. Mm-hmm. Like back in the day, when I heard his story, I was like, man, I just asked so many questions. And when I started asking questions, he saw how humble I was. I didn't come in with any kind of ego. I was like, man, I just want to be locked in. I want to be looked at and respected by my peers. And Nick was the man on the team before Shaq and I came. So... We just kind of connected. That's dope. 1994, man, Blue Chips. Like I said, one of my favorite basketball movies. You and Shaq together on the big screen. Nick Nolte, uh, crazy, with his crazy Bobby, uh, Bobby Knight impression. What was it like? <laughs> I mean, to, to like you're, uh, you're in movies and, and everything. You're, you're a star now. Take me back to 94 and what your mindset was, because I'm sure people probably couldn't tell Penny shit. Man, <laughs> hey man, to have a movie out, to be playing right. with Shaq, to be one of the hottest teams in the league, and that star was starting to shine, man, it was an unbelievable, like, it was a moment that I can never forget. Uh, to have a movie, you know, everybody's like, you're in a movie. A movie, and movie Nolte, A big time uh, movie, too. Man, thank you. I, I just felt like it was it was real, too. At the time, I was like, this, this movie, it, it, it depicts college basketball in a real fashion because you got your boosters, you got your... You know, back then, I was like, man, everything about this movie is real. And I wanted it to be so natural. And then our, our producer and director let us play real basketball. So we didn't act out anything except for the last scene for me to throw Shaq the lob. So man, I was loving everything about it and it was on cloud nine. When was the last time someone called you Butch McCray? Oh, it's been a, it's been a couple years since somebody's called call me Bruce McCray, but they do still play the movie a lot, so I can appreciate that. Yeah, And they got, they got a lot of people uh, making that jersey, making y'all jerseys from the movie and wearing them, too. Yeah, a lot of people's like, because I, I actually had a set of uh, my shoes, the Air Penny Fives. They just brought out the Western Butch McCray with the number 22 on it, and everybody was mm. like, what's number 22? <laughs> I'm like, that's Butch, Butch McCray. McCray's number. Yeah, a lot of people yeah. don't know what the 22 means, but that's what it is. Yeah. 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 So the second year, I mean, you guys experienced success right off the bat. You guys are in the finals. Uh, you average uh, 21, 7, 4, uh, first team All-NBA. You're probably thinking like, shit, is this, this is what it's like, huh? I mean, like I said, because it's normally a process. You guys hit it. You're in the finals your second year. Speak to me on your guys' mindset and, and what you learned from that first finals run. Well, when we got Horace Grant from the Bulls, I, I locked it in at that point. I was like... We're going to the finals. You could just got you got that feel when you play on a really good team. You guys have played on good teams. I mean, in Sackhead's mm-hmm. championship. So I had to feel like we're gonna be unstoppable now, now that we have horrors. This is the missing piece. That year during the season, regular season, we were running through everybody. It was just, it was very easy. Um, mm-hmm. first couple rounds of the playoffs, um, we were confident that we just weren't gonna lose. Even though we lost the sec, we beat the Boston Celtics the first game by 63 points mm-hmm. in the first round of the playoffs. And they came back and beat us in game two at our building. And we had to go mm-hmm. to the Garden and beat them two games in a row. And we, we shut down the first original uh, Boston Garden. 
in that series. And then the next series was Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know they don't lose in playoff series. So it was like, <laughs> man, these dudes haven't lost in so long, man. What the, you know, like, we got to lock in. And we locked in and beat them. And then we went to the Indiana Pacers, uh, went to game seven with them. And once we did that, the Spurs and the Rockets series were still going on. And we were like, it don't matter who win. It don't matter who it's win. Us. We busting their ass. It's us. It's our mm-hmm. year. And when Houston won, I think we got a little cocky because we beat them both games during the regular season pretty handily. And we were like, man, we're going to smash these dudes. Man, had them down 20 in the first quarter, midway through the second. And they made a, a nice run before the end of the half. And in the third quarter, they made another run, and they went nip and tuck, and they went to overtime, mm-hmm. and they beat us. And, dog, you're talking about letting the air out? I think that game, it was like it deflated our whole team to where we could never recover at all. And they, they shot the crap out of the ball. Kenny, Sam Cassell, Vernon mm-hmm. Maxwell, Robert Ory, Mario Eli. They shot the ball, and Dream was, Dream was stupid, man. He was stupid. <laughs> talk, talk. I can't hey, even describe talk. that. That was stupid. But talk to talk to because to me he's one of he's one of the, the the great players that gets overlooked so often. Talk to us a little bit about what that battle was like because Shaq is the up and coming next wave. You're the up and coming next wave, and y'all ran into motherfucking the dream. Whew. And he 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 set everything straight. Talk to us about how talented it was and what that matchup was like between him and Shaq at that time. Well, let me get this straight. Dream was the vet. Shaq was kind of the kid. Shaq held his own, yeah. but it was uh-huh. a different level at that time. The Shaq that was with the Lakers, if he would have been that Shaq and we would have played against Houston, we would have won. We would have oh, smashed yeah, no out. question. But the Shaq that was in Orlando was just too young. He was a pup. He was still getting his, but mm-hmm. just didn't know enough. But, man, Dream was really, mm. to me, a freaking small forward playing center, and that shit was unfair. <laughs> his footwork. That's a good way to put it. was sick. His, his footwork, his shot-making ability, his IQ, his toughness, his, it's just, he was just a, to me, he was a robot, dog. That dude deserves way more credit than whatever he gets if he's not getting it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, you're in the finals your second year. You're thinking it's going to be like that every year, and you had the harsh reality of looking back on it now, like, it, it, it doesn't come that easy. It doesn't happen that fast. Uh, you and Shaq's final season together was the next season. Um, talk to us about that process. Yeah, uh, at the end of that series, we ended up getting swept. Every game was close, but they just pulled off at the end. But after that first game, I felt like the series just kind of, it deflated the whole squad. And uh, going into the next season, of course, we got high hopes like, all right, we just got swept. We're pissed. We're going to run through the season again, and then we're going to smash everybody. And it didn't, it didn't work that way. It, um, <laughs> it was just, we started having injuries. There was like contract turmoil, and then all of the stuff started happening, and it just, it just kind of went downward. It didn't, it, it went downward, and all of a sudden we woke up, we woke the Bulls up by beating their ass in the second round, and like they was like, hell no, we mm-hmm. about to take back over. And then MJ worked that whole summer, came back. We get to the, we we won the first round pretty easily, but we ended up playing the Bulls in like the second round that next year, and they swept us. We Shaq didn't play. Nick didn't play, Horace didn't play. It was like I was out there like by myself and they were just freaking licking their chops. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know Shaq was leaving, but I guess as the season was going on, he was kind of thinking, man, maybe this is it for me. Maybe I need to change, change scenery. And we went into, from into that season into the Olympics. And uh, I saw all the articles, but I'm still not really paying attention. I'm thinking, man, we're going to get through this. 
Seeing the articles, the fans are saying Shaq can't shoot free throws. Why should we resign him? I'm looking at this shit like, hold up, what are we talking about? Crazy. Man, give this man exactly what he wants, but I don't even think he really wanted the contract. I think he wanted to leave anyway. I think he mm. really saw LA as being an opportunity for movies, music, and to, you know, be with Kobe and was like, I think I can turn that situation around and win some rings over there. And when Shaq left, I knew the magnitude of that instantly. I knew it was over. I knew it was that we were done. Before he left, I mean, talk to me about you guys experienced a lot of success early on. You guys were cool, friendship good, teammates good. Everything seemed like it clicked from the outside looking in. How good do you feel like you guys could have been if you guys would have got your time together, five, seven, eight years together? I think we would have gotten at least one. With the way the tempo was going of the league, we would have added a couple more pieces. But what we already had, with us getting better, uh, having more chemistry, uh, I think we win at least one. Can't, we can only speculate about... Right. What would have happened? But I, I, I think for sure that with one, we would have had one. And um, especially with Diesel getting better and better every year and me getting mm -hmm. better and better every year. So you touched on it. 96 Olympics, Dream Team 2. You guys win a gold medal. Now you're playing with Shaq. He, is, is he gone by this point? Is he signed with the Lakers at this point? You know the messed up situation? Yeah, he had. He had already signed. When we were in the, comp, the press conference, even before the Olympics started in Atlanta, they asked me, how does it feel not to have Shaq as a teammate? And if anyone was there, I laughed it off like, well, if that's what's going to happen, then that's what's going to happen. They're like, you don't know he's already gone? Like, I did not know Shaq had already signed and was gone. I said, if that happens, then I wish him well. But it had already happened. I didn't even know. That's crazy. Talk to me a little bit or talk to us a little bit about how Little Penny came about. Because to me, to this day, he was still the coolest little Batman and Robin sidekick cartoon I've ever seen for an athlete. Super creative. You showed a shitload of shoes. So talk to us about Penny, the little Penny, the character, and having your own shoe. Yeah, I, I, that was little Penny was just a blessing, man. I was just kind of a silent assassin. I was I, I was about my business out on the court. I didn't really talk shit. I didn't I didn't really get into it until you took me there. Then it, it it was whatever. But Nike recognized it and was like, you know what? We need to get a trash-talking alter ego for Penny and called him <laughs> Little Penny. And they, Little Penny would do all the, all the trash-talking for Penny, and Penny would just go out there and, and take care of business. And when they brought it to me, I instantly liked it. I was like, yeah, let's do it. I knew when they, when they told me that that it was going to be successful because comedy, along with, you know, a basketball player that's at the height of his career or growing to the height of his career, uh, I thought that it was going to be successful, and, and thank God it was. How dope is it? 25 years later, do you still have one of the most relevant shoes in basketball? Man, I was a sneakerhead in college. If you came to my dorm, if I got any money from a parent, uncle, whatever, it didn't matter. I was buying some sneakers. I didn't even get food. That's why I was so skinny. I was buying sneakers before food. <laughs> so to get to the league and to have my own signature shoe that I have a part of building, I couldn't believe it. I really couldn't believe that I have designed a logo and I have my own signature shoe. I knew how, how powerful that was. And man, I'm, to this day, I walk into my room and see signature shoes and go, man, God, mm. has, God has been amazing. Crazy. Yep. Now that following year, you're left to carry the workload. At 25 years old, mm -hmm. uh, without Shaq, you, you experienced your first bad uh, knee injury. Talk to us about where your mental mindset was. Because like I said, there had been so much success leading up to that point. Finals appearances, all NBA, Olympic gold medals. Now you're kind of starting over again at 25 and then you ex experience, you know, a, a really tough knee injury. Talk to us about that. 
Yeah, that was that was horrible, man. I obviously already was just kind of just down and out about Shaq leaving, and you try to make the best of it. You get the training camp and go, all right, the big fella's not coming back, man. It's on your shoulders. You can't lose steam. You got to keep this team going forward, and hopefully we can get a free agent soon to come in and at least help. Nobody was going to ever be able to do what Shaq could have done, but I get into the season, and I make it through the season pretty decent. Like, I didn't really mm. get hurt, little knickknacks. Get into the playoffs against the Detroit Pistons, and Joe Dumars going for an offensive rebound just slammed it to the back of my knee. It was, ah. most excruciating. it was the most excruciating pain I ever felt in my life, but I kept playing. And back then, if you miss games, it was like, you can't miss games. We need you on the court. So I played through it that season. And once the season was over, man, that summer, I, was, I kept feeling it. But I was like, it's not really stopping me from playing. And, man, as it got further and further in the summer, almost close to training camp, I don't know if I did more damage to it playing on it in the summer. I told our team doctor, man, something just isn't right. And I went to the doctor, and I had a torn meniscus, and I had to have my first surgery in Man, it just seemed like from that point, I just never felt right, man. I just, I don't know what it was, but I just could never regain or get back to that explosiveness and that speed and that quickness that I had. It was like I was just kind of pushing through, but it just never, it never really felt right. And it was, that was devastating for sure. I know that had to be frustrated to be at your prime, being your prime dealer with mm. an injury. What, what, what was your mental like at that time? Mm-hmm. Man, you know what? I was, I, was, I was really messed up in the head because I was thinking, like, if you don't get back, then, it, then it's going to, I mean, where do you go from here? And I was saying, I just got to lock in, work my ass off and get back, get healthy. But I wasn't doing it right. I didn't have somebody in my ear going, okay, slow down, first of all. Let's slow down. You don't have to have a rush. You know, Grant Hill sat out for two years after that. Uh, I don't know if Jack remembers this. When I was playing for the Suns, I tore my meniscus against yes. the Spurs, and I, I played the whole series, and Timmy didn't play. Timmy sat out. When I look back on those days, and that's what was going through my mind, man, do you need to sit out until you're well, or when you start feeling better, do you need to play? And that's what I was wrestling mm-hmm. with the whole time. Nobody told me, man, sit down until you're 100%. I think I would get to 80, 85, 90, and I was like, all right, I'm ready. And I go right back out there. I never really fully mm. got it to 100. And that, mm. was, that was the era I was from, and I just damaged myself more and couldn't get over that hump. It's interesting to, to hear you talk about that and say that because, like you said, 82 was, a, was a, a, a badge of pride back then. Like you, there was no days off. There's no work management, load management. If you can walk, you can play. Man. You know what I mean? And, and you hear, you hear, you see guys such as yourself who, who kind of ran yourself to the ground because the competitive nature and how you came up wanted to get you back on the court. You know, Grant Hill with nagging injuries, Brandon Roy coming back too soon from injuries. It's just our competitive nature to want to get back out there on the court because this is before we had all the technology and sports and they can monitor your body and read your body and do mm-hmm. all this kind of shit. And it definitely would have changed the tra- trajectory of your career, in my opinion. Obviously, you're still, to me, one of the greats, but you would have had more years in your being Penny than you definitely did. Hey, well, let me say this too. Penny, Penny is, I can speak for this. He was one of them, he was, he was different from a lot of these stars too, Matt. Like, Penny hooped in the summertime. Like, he played in mm-hmm. tournaments. He, he had teams, they used to drive down to Louisiana and play in tournaments. Like, he was a real hooper. So, when you talk about stars and, le- and legends of the game, you got to put Penny in a different category. No he, was a fa- he was the face of the league, but he was no, regular because he still hooped. He still hooped with us in the summertime and all that type of stuff. So, he in a different category too. No yeah, doubt. No, no, I- I appreciate that because 
I took that seriously, man. I love the ball, and balling was what I was really felt like I was born to do. And I went to D.C., I went to Atlanta, I went to Lake Charles with Jack and them down there. And everywhere, I played ball everywhere, and it didn't matter, man, because I, I see where guys don't play in the summer. I see where guys are just kind of just drilling. I'm like, damn, man, hoop. Like, that's what we did. Yep. You know, we mm-hmm. hooped. And that's what I love doing, though, man. And that's really- you weren't getting nothing out of it, Penny. You weren't getting nothing. Out- you were sponsoring teams. You weren't getting nothing out of it just to win the championship and the hoop with your boys in the summer. That's it, man. And that's what the love was, man. I was just one of the dudes that had always hooped, and I wasn't going to stop just because I had some stardom in the league. Like I was bigger than anybody else. I, right. I wanted to keep that going in the summer. What's up? I'm John Wall, and I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Six Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game, King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you gotta think Love he's it. gonna guard. He don't care about guarding. He's gonna guard. He's gonna exactly. guard. Like you see him in the Olympics, he's gonna guard. And then on I'm top not of that, like that, see that, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college? Because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Mm-hmm. I was big. So, uh, 98-99, this is post-lockout, post-Michael Jordan, um, post-Shaq. You guys face a young Allen Iverson in the first round. They beat you guys. What was it like seeing him in, in that next wave of young players on the way? Man, AI was... AI was different. He was different because this dude was six foot, but he had, like, seven foot arms. And then <laughs> you, you, he had that he had that ball on a string, and he could make tough, make and take tough shots. I know he, he just he was athletic enough, he was fast enough, he was tough enough, and he was a tough shot taker, tough shot maker. And his attitude was on a million. Like he had that little man complex so hard. Like you ain't gonna, yeah. you can't tell me nothing. You ain't about to stop me. I don't care who you put in front of me. And watching that live. While I was kind of going through my thing, it was like, oh, this AI coming. Mm. <laughs> AI coming. Mm. And, and he coming. He here to stay for a while. 
That motherfucker came for sure. He came. Uh, 99, traded to Phoenix and, and get a chance to play with Jay Kidd. Tell me what your thought process is leaving Orlando, going to a dope city such as in Phoenix. Jason Kidd, one of the, uh, another one of the, the top echelon point guards along with yourself. What was it like being out there and getting a chance to run with Jay Kidd? Well, I feel like at the point of where I was uh, with Orlando that it had ran its course. I wish, I, I wish it would have been different, but it had ran its course. Doc Rivers came in and he was the coach. He was talking about having to rebuild my entire career, rebuild my name around the city. And I'm sitting here going, damn, I gave all these blood, sweat and tears, played injured. And I got to kind of go back and build my brand all over again in Orlando. And I was like, you know what? Jay Kidd did a hell of a job, you know, calling me and saying, hey, man, let's do it. And I was like, man, to me, Jay Kidd, one of the greatest to ever play the game. Mm-hmm. We can go we can go get some stuff done out here in Phoenix. And I decided to go to Phoenix in the 2000 playoffs. Your son's matched up with the Lakers against Kobe and Shaq. What was that like? Weird as hell. <laughs> I ain't gonna lie. That was, a weird, that was weird because I'm playing against Shaq in a playoff series. I never thought that would happen, you know, when I first went into the league. And I'm with the Suns. And, of course, that's their championship year. Um, they had a lot of hiccups um, in, in some games where they should have lost. And then Kobe comes through with a shot. Mm. I mean, we had him in game three in L.A. or game four. And he makes a shot over Jay Kidd to um, to win that game. And we had the, we we led that game the whole game. And obviously, you know the Portland Trailblazers situation where they were just smashing them, and then they make the they make the run and Jack yeah, Kobe to lob the run. So, mm-hmm. I mean, to play against them, you could just tell that they had that it factor. You could just tell they were locked and loaded in every area with role players, with stars, and we took them to six games, but it just wasn't enough. But Jay Kidd and I were like. Hey, man, we'll, we'll get back there next year. But you could just see the Lakers. The Lakers were coming. You just mm-hmm. saw them. Mm-hmm. Early on, yeah. So a combination of injuries and early playoff exits, you're off to New York in 04. What's your thought process as far as knowing you and what you're capable of bringing and what you felt like you can go to the Knicks and accomplish? I think that was probably the most disappointing time to be in the city on the biggest stage in the Big Apple and not be me. I'm out here like a shell of myself on the biggest stage. And I'm like, man, why? I just wish that I could just get to a point where I could be me. And I just pushed through it, but I knew I wasn't me, man. And I love New York. I felt like the fans deserved me uh, at the highest level because you know how New York is. And playing for the Knicks was a huge honor. I didn't take that lightly. But I was also going home at night going, man, I just hate I'm not me. I'm not myself. God damn. What did you do? What did you do to combat that? You know what I mean? You can keep trying, you can keep pushing, but mentally, what did you... Because that's what I like to have other people understand. There's so much fucking mental that comes along with this process. What did you do to, to, to fight your way out of that or deal with that or, or handle that situation during that time? You know what I, I, I said to myself? I said, man, you're here. Let's make the best of it. Work your ass off. Give it all you got. Don't leave nothing in the tank. And let it. And then you could, you could go to sleep at night. You know, and, and that's what I did, man. It, it does fuck with you mentally because... Mm-hmm. It's just, you. I mean, the garden, the mystique of the garden, you got Spike Lee over on the sideline, you got all these stars, and they want to win so badly, and we weren't winning. And I was a part of that negative tradition of the Knicks having won in a while, and it just, that bothered me too, because I felt like those fans, out of all the fans in the NBA, deserve to win. They're loyal. Yes. Did you have any clue... What was going on with Marbury behind the scenes while he was there? I didn't. I mean, uh, Steph was, he and I hit it off really well when he came to the, uh, 
He came to the Suns from the Nets. And when he went back to New York, I felt like it was a chance of a lifetime for him because he was in his prime. He could still mm-hmm. do it. He could still do it. So, I mean, who wouldn't want to go back home in the prime of their years, even though he was playing for the Nets over in New Jersey, it's different playing in the Garden. So mm-hmm. I felt like he was on cloud nine going back like I'm about to put on for the city and I just wanted to help support that while he was there back home. So you end your career in, in 2007. Mentally, like I said, I, I really like to know the mental approach. Where were you at? Well, did you say it was time? Did they say it was time? What were your thoughts heading to Miami? I think that my, my thought process was I had gotten myself in a really good shape. Let's, let's, let's produce. Let's be consistent and let's produce with the heat. I didn't know I was going to start when I first went there. I didn't know what was going to happen. I was just ready to take on whatever challenge they gave me and appreciate the opportunity and, man, just go all out. I mean, I had definitely fallen from grace. I wasn't the same player, but I felt like I could still contribute. So I wanted to contribute to help Shaq, being reunited with Shaq, and then to help D-Wade because D-Wade was that dude. And um, it was weird, man, because it was like I had gotten to the point to where it had faded so badly that the respect wasn't really there anymore. It was like, that's Penny Hardaway, but that's really not Penny Hardaway. So it started to become the beginning of the end, and I knew my time was numbered, even though we were, when D-Wade got hurt, and then Shaq got traded for Sean Marion, I, I knew that it was over for me. I knew Pat Riley was gonna rebuild and try to get higher in the draft because you had uh, Mike Beasley, you had Derrick Rose and those guys. So uh, right before Christmas, Pat called me and was like, we're gonna go young, man, and we're gonna rebuild. And I was like, okay, thanks for the opportunity. And I knew that was the end right there. Mm-hmm. That was, that was, that was mm-hmm. a tough day because I really wanted to end on my terms and I didn't end on my terms. 2007, you retire that year? Yep. I really, I didn't officially say I'm retired, but yeah, pretty much 2007 was the retirement, 2008. Mm-hmm. So initially, like I said, a lot of people don't get, you know, I think you, you fall into a category because a lot of guys, maybe not, obviously not with your talent, but not ending the way you planned it or the way you dreamed it or the way it was supposed to end. How hard was that process post-career uh, from a day-to-day standpoint? It was very hard to accept because the guys that were that were commentating, the guys that were kind of the guys that have to talk about guys like myself, they wasn't giving me my just due when I was yep. that guy. They were basically mm-hmm. saying that I was basically who I was at that point my whole career, and I know that's, that's way different. You got to still show me my love and my first seven years of my career. Right, uh, come on, man. You know what I mean? Come don't, on, man. Don't forget about those those years, and it almost made right. me feel like leaving the game that they, they weren't going to recognize that in my prime that I was one of the better players that have ever played the game. No And then I got injured. So that part of it was tough to handle, and I was just hoping that one day that I would get my due. And now guys are definitely saying it more, like, oh, you know, Penny was, was that guy versus... Mm. No, nah, he didn't belong mm. in the category with this person or that person, so Hell I definitely nah. appreciate that more. You belonged in every category. Like I said, Jack and I, before this show, when we found out we was going to get you, I'm like, hell yeah, because like I said, I just think there's a, the, a lack of appreciation for what came before us. And barring injury, the pace you were on, the level you played at, you people, you were making all NBA with MJ, battling MJ, beating MJ, holding your own, you know? So we definitely want to, you know, take our hats off to you because you're someone that we looked up to for sure, man, and you definitely yeah. did your thing. And I'm glad it's starting to come around because I think too often... People forget, and you know it, it was so long. It was pre-social media. It was pre a lot of things. So sometimes 
talented people such as yourself that didn't end the right way, the beginning gets, you know, looked over. But we definitely don't want to have that happen here, man. So we want to give you definitely a shout out from that standpoint because you were a motherfucking killer, bro. Straight up. Yes, and, you know, it, it means more to me coming from you guys than somebody that don't know the game because you guys were ballers. You guys understand right. the game. And mm-hmm. we all have a mutual respect. But I know you guys ain't going to give credit where credit isn't due. Y'all are as well as they come. So to hear that right. from you guys, I definitely appreciate that for sure. No, no, That's we appreciate love. you, man. So post-career, 2011, you touched on it a little bit. A childhood friend, uh, Desmond Merriweather, convinced you to come back and help him. Walk us through that process, because to me, it, it, it's, it, it's a very heartfelt process, but you experienced success right away coaching. Talk to us about both mm-hmm. of those. Yeah, you know what was, so, what was so crazy is that we had like an alumni game. My middle school and my high school, if you played at the middle school, high school, played a game. After that game was over, Desmond came up to me and was like, man, I'm really not feeling well. I go to the chemos. I don't want to sit on the bench. It's kind of tough. If you can just come help me with my team just until I can kind of start to feel better. And obviously I did. I was like, man, I'm not doing anything. I'll come. When I went into the building and saw the team, the team was like a championship team already. And all I needed to do was just add a little structure, some discipline, and a lot of love to some hood kids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Des was already giving them love, but he was sick. So I got in there, and, man, this dude is fighting and battling, man. Had to take a time out to go throw up after coming from chemo mm. and come back to the mm. bench. And yeah. I was like, man, I got I to gotta, I gotta help this situation. And that one year or that one week or that two week turned into three years of being the middle school coach. Uh, and Desmond is just fighting and still battling through. The kids didn't know the magnitude of what was going on with Desmond until the third year. He wouldn't tell them, he wouldn't tell them that he was sick. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't tell him the magnitude of what was going on. And, man, that whole experience really taught me a lot about me, taught me a lot about love, taught me a lot about situations, circumstances. And I never thought I would have been a middle school coach. But uh, we took this group of kids who were in gangs, who were street cats, who were not really thinking about school, not even really thinking about going to college, maybe a couple of them, to having that whole bunch feeling like we're all going to college. We all want to be something better than what we wanted to be before you got here. Uh, and you and Desmond are the great role models. Y'all make us want to be better. And that alone made me feel really good because I knew that we had changed the culture in our neighborhood from mm-hmm. thinking about being in the streets to one day being on Wall Street. That's my mentality mm-hmm. to those kids. Mm-hmm. And that's what I really Talk wanted to, to do. And mm-hmm. they did it. They believed. And all of those kids, with the exception of two, all went to college out of those three teams. And Beautiful. that is a success versus what would have happened if no we wouldn't have question. come back and cared about them. Right. Doing that, uh, that catapulted to AAU. So we wanted to start an AAU program so that these kids could get national exposure. We knew that they could play, but we wanted the coaches around the country to see them play and for them to get rankings and get their names out there. And we built a great program. And then that went on to high school. And then from high school, now I'm here, man. But the whole entire situation of coming back home and getting back into my neighborhood not just any neighborhood, but my neighborhood was, man, so gratifying because most guys ain't going back to their hood. Jack, he can understand, you know, you know he, he in the hood. He, he touches kids' lives and talks to them and mentors all the time. To be back there, man, means that, everything. I, it, it means everything. So for me to physically be there every day for them, uh, mm-hmm. they, they really appreciated that, man. And it, it's, been, it's been a great ride. It was, I can imagine. Ride. I, can, I can imagine if I had a, 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 a coach or even an NBA player, let alone Penny Hardaway, right. coming back to coming back to us, giving us the knowledge, spending his time. Like, 
we, I, I know my outlook of, and, and, and my, my dreams of making it to the NBA would have been more touchable if I would have been able to experience that as a, as, a, uh, as a young kid. You know what I'm saying? It worked out for me, but I didn't believe it. Other people believed more in me than I did myself. But if I would have actually had an NBA player come down and talk to me, give me pointers in high school, man, that would have done wonders for me. So yeah, what, you doing, what, what you doing for them kids, man, that's priceless, bro. Yeah, no, I appreciate it, man. I'll take that, I'll take that to heart, too, man, because coming back home, man, your city needs you, bro. Your yep. city needs you. I mean, giving money, I've given money since 93, but to actually be there physically, to touch, to talk, to be a, a father figure, to be a mentor, to be a coach, mm -hmm. to be a counselor, just to listen. I had to make deals with these kids and say, hey man, if you could just not get angry, then, <laughs> then to, with the teachers. And right, like we one had, step at a time. I got you in this area. And then, mm -hmm. and then if you're gonna get angry, make sure you just ask the teacher to give you five minutes. And I'll go to the teacher and go, okay, He's having problems at home. He has 11 siblings. It's, mm. eight, it's eight different fathers. The mm. other eight, four of the fathers might be doing for his siblings and nobody's doing for him and he's mad and jealous of his siblings. He might come in mad because he hadn't eaten and mm. he was hungry and he was Man. mad that nothing was happening for him. So I'm doing deals in the schools, but I started feeding them in the morning, feeding them out to school, feeding them at night to make sure that they got good square meals. And these kids were just, they were all over the place, so I had to start making deals with them to get them locked in, and they started understanding what I was saying, man. So the beauty of all the inside part of it was is, is definitely, it's, it's, it's been worth it. I think that's beautiful. And obviously you explained how much, you know, effort you put in, and I'm sure how much they appreciate it. Tell our view, like, what did that mean to you, though? Because, like I said, I get a chance to coach my kids, and, and there's nothing like it. I think it's, it's amazing. It, it, it's just as exciting for me as when I played, being able to coach my kids and see them succeed at something they love and appreciate and get better. What did all, everything you did and everything you're doing for kids, what does that do for you as a man? It's to me, it's just showing that I, I made my grandmother proud because she told me, if you ever make it, don't ever forget where you come from. That's, that's, that stayed with me forever. So for me, I don't walk around with a badge. I just know, man, I did something to help my city and my neighborhood. And I did something to help motivate them. It wasn't with the money, it was me in the hood every day. I'm driving Bentleys in the hood. I'm driving <laughs> Rovers in the hood. And they're seeing this and touching this and dreaming through that. Right. I mean, I'm just saying, Hell so yeah. right. I'm driving by the apartment that I lived in. I lived in like six different sections of apartments in that whole neighborhood, but me and my mom, we were like all over the place. But I'm driving by these same places that I grew up in, bro, in Bentleys and Ranges and going to these kids to say, hey man, I used to live there. I used to live Facts. there and look where Facts. I am now. So for me, it's just, man, I thank God to have the opportunity to even come back because by my career being cut short, I was actually able to do this. Mm -hmm. Talk to us a little bit. I mean, it, it, it's, it, you've touched on it a little bit, but it's full circle. You, you're, you're literally back where you started at, coaching at Memphis. How did that come about? Well, obviously the team wasn't having success. We had just gotten a legendary coach, Coach Tubby Smith. Fans were getting a little restless because we had had a few years of a down season, and this is a basketball city. They don't really mm -hmm. want the Tigers to be down. The Grizzlies can be down a little bit, but the Tigers, <laughs> right. the Tigers can't be down. It's just that's the city's right. team. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and I guess at the time where the group that I had, I had a group of kids that I started with in sixth grade. That group was actually all seniors at the time. And it was actually the time that I was really trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I told Desmond that I was gonna stay with that group of kids until they graduated. And the time that the job opened up for the University of Memphis is the same time as it was for the kids who were seniors to graduate. So the timing on that couldn't have been more perfect for me. Beautiful. Talk to us, you, you touched on a little bit, 
25 years later, you guys just said you just released a, a, a shoe, one cent. Talk, talk to us about where it's at right now and how you feel to know 25 years later you still have one of the dopest shoes. Well, no, I mean, I, I, I owe Nike a lot because they hung in there with me, they stuck with me, they, they, they kept building my brand with my shoes. I actually have had a different shoe drop, a couple shoes drop every year over the last 10 years, 12 years, they're dropping multiple shoes. Even if it's new mm -hmm. shoes or if they're remaking the foams in different colors, mm -hmm. man, that's, that's love. That's love that's all dope. over right there, man. To still that's be dope. relevant, when kids that are in today's age didn't even know who I was, of course they have YouTube and they can mm -hmm. go on there, but to have shoes still being dropped to this day, man, that's, that is love. Yes, you know you got a dope shoe when you can wear it on and off the court. You know what I mean? Them mm -hmm. foams go with anything. So that's anything. when you know you got a dope-ass shoe. You could go straight from basketball practice, go home and shower, hopefully, to the club and them motherfuckers <laughs> and still be doing your thing. You know? <laughs> hey, you know what's so funny is that I told Nike, they said, what do you want, what do you want out of a shoe? I said, man, I really want them to be like Jays because Jays, you can wear them on the court and off the court. Facts. I yeah. want my shoes to be worn on the court and off the court, and that's what happened, man. Mm -hmm. We built a shoe. I wanted that. I did want that. That's what's right. up. So uh, we're going to jump to NCAA. Hey, compare uh, NCAA basketball to the early 90s. This NCAA basketball compared to the early yeah. 90s? Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, yeah. Uh, now it was, it now was, compared to early 90s. It was, a, it was a difference because guys stayed in school four years. Like Matt said, he stayed in school four years. It was rare for guys to come out early at all back in the early 90s. And guys were staying longer, so it was a better, um, it was a better game. It, wasn't, it was a veteran it was kind of like mm -hmm. they say, a veteran, a veterans league of college players because everybody had got a chance to play together two or three years, so the teams were better. Yep. Yeah. Now, now you're getting guys to come in for one and done, and they've been taught to just be about themselves and really not even be about the school. Most guys go to school to be one, go to school to be one and done. They just want to get numbers and then get to that draft. So the basketball is kind of watered down a little bit more now because the substance is gone. No, guys aren't staying two and three years. And I get it. You got to go get that money, but mm -hmm. there's a ton of talented players. But the '90s was just was better because the guys stayed in school longer. Even though you're still getting good basketball now, it was just better basketball back then. What mm -hmm. do you obviously as a head coach now in a major D1 program? How do you approach those one and dones? Because I know UCLA was stuck a long time. Well, we don't want one and dones, and you see they've been in the motherfucking toilet for years. <laughs> how do you how do you approach? As a head coach, okay, well, if I'm going to get this hell of a talent for a year, how do I make him buy into what we're trying to do? And that's going to help propel him to a lottery pick. Well, I think I, you know, because I played in the league, I kind of identify with the one and done better than most coaches because we were them. We were the guys that yeah. had the game, that were going to go to the draft, that were going to be that were going to be selected. So I go and get that guy and say, hey, man, let me develop you. Let me teach you. Let mm -hmm. me pour into you what I know. Mm -hmm. I don't care about you being a one and done because – I know that you're a special talent. You can help me win. I can get a group of guys around you, and right. we can go get this thing done. And that's what—that's the way I approach it. Like, I, I don't need you to be in school three or four years. And <laughs> in today's league, the older you are, the more you're not going to get drafted. So my job right. is, if you're, if you're that type of dude, I need to get you out of here in one year anyway. Right. And that's what I tell those kids. And that's what's up. Who better to teach them? If there was one player that you could play with in your career that you didn't play with, who would it be? Back in the day. Back in the day or just anybody? Anybody. Man, that's a tough one. I'm a fan. Probably, <laughs> probably, because, of, probably because of my mental. 
Yeah. I would have loved to play with, with, with Magic or Braun because those are big oh, guards with high yeah, IQs. I yeah. would have loved to play with those guys in their primes, me and my prime. I mean, I thought yeah. that, would, that, would, that would be sick. Y'all, y'all all fall in the same category, bro. Y'all yeah. fall in the same category. Mm-hmm. Mm, mm, mm. Man, you know, that's, fucking imagine that. That shit. <laughs> who was a who was an opposing point guard that you every time you played him, I'm like, it, it was time to go. You had to get on top of it, like you had to. You yep. had to roll. GP. Yeah. yeah. GP. Ooh, we just had GP. GP, yeah, my dude. Just had G. That dude right yeah. there. Hey, GP was as real as they come, dog. That dude. He did. I never saw him take one game off. Mm-hmm. I never, he mm-hmm. always was on a million when it came to getting at you. <laughs> so when you played him, you had to bring it, bro. Or he, also, he wasn't going to respect you. He was going to dog you if you didn't bring it. Yeah. He didn't, I know he didn't take a light on nobody. <laughs> no, no. Which teams did you enjoy playing? I enjoyed playing the Bulls because they were, like, they were great. That was one game mm-hmm. I look forward to every time with MJ Scotty, that whole little era with that Bulls, those Bulls teams, because you knew that if you beat them, that you had done something major. Like, that was one yeah, team man. that I look forward to playing every single time. Who were some of the younger players in today's game that, that, that caught your eye? Obviously, Zion, Ja, Giannis. Ja, everybody say Ja. Well, Ja mm-hmm. didn't do, man. I got a, I got a close yeah. look at Ja being here in Memphis, and I went to some games, and I saw how he played. I was like, this dude got it. He got that effector, bro. Yeah, he do. He do. He got it. I watched it in person too many times, and I was being very critical to see. I want to see what this... I knew he could play, but man, he got he got it. He definitely got mm-hmm. it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think who else young players. Jason Tatum. Mm, yeah, love um, Jason Tatum. Yeah, Jay, Jason. Uh, I've been watching him since eighth grade. Been competing against him, and I knew that he would be who he was. But proud to see him there. I don't know why I'm going blank, man, because I'm a huge fan of a lot of guys in the league. But yeah, those guys yeah. jump out. Those guys jump out like right away. Is there anybody that you have seen since you've come and gone in the NBA? Um, that resembles your game at all, you think? I think in transition, maybe maybe Ben Simmons in transition, how he pushed the tempo. Um, mm. I'm talking about how he pushed the tempo. I don't know. I, I ain't saying about everything else, but to me, as a big guard, <laughs> as a big guard, and I love Ben. I mean, but yeah. how he pushed the tempo, I think, I don't I don't know any more big guards that are just really just pushing the tempo up, up the On floor the go. Like that. On yeah, the go, it's beautiful. I love Ben Simmons too. I don't give a fuck what no one says about his shooting. I, once if if he can figure that out, I think it's going to be a real problem because everything for as big as he is, his vision, his handle, his his ability to get to the basket. Yeah, I give him that. It's unmatched. The it's finesse unmatched. side, his finesse side is a lot like Penny's. Both yeah, hands. That's, that's, yeah, and that's, that's basically yeah. what I meant. That's basically yeah. what I meant when it came mm-hmm. to that. Yeah, but that's where it stopped. You stupid. <laughs> Shit, stupid. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Crazy. Um, I know you listen to uh, hip-hop. I know you're a big-time music guy. Your name been name-dropped in a lot of songs. Favorite Man. song that you've been name-dropped in? Man. Shit, well, you know, the homie Yo Gotti, he didn't, he didn't drop my yeah, name a lot. That's your boy. That's, that's, that's my hometown. Guy. That's yeah, hometown. That's hometown. Yeah. So I got I to gotta drop Yo Gotti. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that, would be, that would be the top. Uh, because, you know, we, we was born and raised in the same hood and kind of mm-hmm. made it out of the mud. So I got to go, yeah. go, go with I got to go with Yo Gotti, though. If I, I ain't know you and Yo Gotti was from the same hood. I ain't know that. Yeah. yeah. That's dope. That's dope. Hey, back when you were playing, who were you listening to to get ready for games? I was listening to Jay, you know, Jay mm. and uh, Jay and Biggie and 
you know, pop, them guys was them, them was them dudes back then though. Like, yes, and yeah. still are. They still them, are. Hey, yeah. hey, those those cats. And then of course you know, you would listen when West Coast it was it was uh, Pac and Snoop. Yeah. And then East Coast it was it was J and Big and Nas. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Those were the cats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm, I love it. Top, music top five artists ever. Oh man! Ooh. Wow, man! Top Your five top five. Ever. You're a top well, five. I think I think Jay. Yep. Big pop. They are they in everybody top five. Yep. And then I, I'm I'm giving Nas love. Mm, I'm giving Nas, Nas, Nas love. I'm giving yes. Nas love. And yeah, then, I'm mad at that. And I, I ain't mad at Snoop, bro. Snoop, Ooh, Snoop a legend, bro. To him. Hell yeah. Snoop Longevity. Legend, man. Snoop Longevity means a lot, yes, man. Yes, sir. Exactly. It means a lot. It does. I know some cat came to me and was like. What about LL? He had more longevity than anybody. When it comes to L, man, the respect is there. But and I'm not saying yeah. that he's not. But in my top five, that's that's mm-hmm. that's it. That's solid. Now, now, seeing that you're a coach and you got to kind of stay hip to shit because you you know you're around a bunch of teenagers. Who's uh, artist or song on repeat for you right now? Drake. Drake. Yeah. Drake. 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 I know on it's fire, a lot, of, man. Yeah, Drake. Drake really is on fire. Him and him and Lil Baby right now are the they two the two artists that are really on fire right now. Mm-hmm. Definitely on fire. Okay, um, we always ask this question to our guests, and once we ask this question, just before you answer, when you answer the question, if you have any plugs on your answer, then we have to use them, okay? We, we need to, it. We have to use them, okay? <laughs> Who do you think should be a guest on our show, on All The Smoke? Man, you guys have had so many people. <laughs> this is our first I'm, year, baby. We just get you started. Man, y'all rolling. Um... Let's see. I think that if I was watching the show, it wouldn't be an athlete. It'd be somebody else because, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like, somebody on the level of uh, of, a, of a Jay-Z or a Will Smith. Yes, Ooh. yes, yes. Like that. Yes. Yeah. I think that, that your fans, and plus me, I'm a fan, I would love to see that. Appreciate And see that. you guys kind of ask them questions on how they feel about sports, you know, what they did, you know. Yeah. I think that'd be dope to get either one of those guys on there, or even both. Mm -hmm. That'd be dope. That'd that'd be amazing. That's dope. If you got a a plug on either, send it this way. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Who is, uh, in your eyes, the most underrated player uh, in the game right now? Most underrated player? I think Drew Holiday. Everybody, yo, everybody says Drew Holiday. That's insane. The reason why I say that is because I watch a lot of film on him. I know Patrick Beverly is known as that dog, but he does what Patrick Beverly does, which is a huge Qui- compliment. Quieter, quietly, quietly. He gets it done. And scores. And, and he and he's hard to guard, dog. He's hard to guard. I got yeah. a lot of respect for you. Right at twenty. Another question. I want to piggyback that. Who in your time was one of the most underrated players that people are like, oh, but you're like, no, that motherfucker can go. Oh. Mm. Uh, Let's see who was who's the most underrated player back then. Man, there's, guys, there's so many guys, man. I'm trying to think. Guys that you were saying he was just okay, but he was really nice. I don't even think people knew how nice Nick Van Exel was, even though he was an all-star. Ooh! Yeah. Man, Tricky Nicky was Nick a was that nice dude. as fuck. They don't even mention him when it comes to the top guards, but Tricky Nicky, he man. He was a killer. And y'all saw dude, him in college. Hey, that dude right there, man. He was serious. Yeah. He was serious. Nick was, Nick was special. We all on quarantine right now. Um, besides working out, what are you binge watching? Man, you know what? For a minute, I watched Tiger King, Ozark. <laughs> everything. All, yeah. of, all American. Yeah. Um, everything. <laughs> I watched everything on Netflix that you can watch, bro. 
I haven't watched the documentary yeah. about the basketball players in San Quentin that KD produced. I watched everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, cue ball, cue yeah, ball, yeah, cue ball. Yeah. I watched, I've watched yeah. everything on Netflix, bro. I watched it all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did too. Yeah. What's your, what's your, did. what's your favorite quarantine snack while you binge watching? Man, what's my favorite snack? Probably, I'm probably on them Pringles, bro. I'm a Pringles dude. What, I'm, I'm killing them. What Pringles. flavor? Barbecue. What flavor? <laughs> Barbecue is fire. Them, hey, I'm killing them Pringles, bro. Hell yeah, them sour cream and chives is fire too. Uh, yeah, favorite, no uh, favorite retro uh, sneaker. Favorite retro. Not including sneaker. your own. Not including no, 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 your own. Probably the Force One, man. I, I, I really like the Force. Mm. I'm a Force guy. I like them retro forces, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dope. Well, we've come to Jack's favorite segment. Like he said, he's been don't, missing don't, don't, out for a while, but I'm involved in this begging segment too. So, Jack, go ahead and beg for the both of us, my brother. <laughs> well, my, th- th- this is my boy. I've been knowing him for level, a long time. I never asked him for nothing, but I have to ask. Either is it possible that you can make this happen for me? I need to, okay. either a pair of signed shoes or a signed jersey. Either or. I need it for the crib, bro. I got to have you up in the crib. Man, you, you got both, bro. Both of y'all got both. Ooh. I got that. That's coming. Man, man, I appreciate it. I appreciate it, bro. I need that for the crib. I appreciate Hell it. Hell yeah. Oh, no, pre- oh, that's easy, man. Come on, bro. That's easy. Nah, we appreciate that, man. <laughs> hey, easy. man. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, good luck once we get commence and, and get back on the court to your upcoming season. Like Jack said, me and Jack going to come through. I got a couple friends out in Memphis still. I need to come visit so uh we gonna come check a game out and uh root for y'all man but thank you for your time today yeah, man i appreciate y'all so much man number love man anything y'all need from me y'all got it hey, hey bro appreciate, appreciate you, you man. and just know if you got any uh questions on any guys you know i'm working at the, at the ai game you know i got your player so just let me know if you need me to do anything for you gotcha gotcha no i appreciate y'all that might yes, be a sir. violation. Anyway, that's a wrap. <laughs> uh, special court, quarantine edition uh, with one of my favorite players, Jack's favorite player, Penny Hardaway. We appreciate yes, your time. Sir. You can catch this on Showtime Basketball YouTube and all platform streaming podcasts. All of them. See y'all next week. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.
There's something about how this place forms a different kind of person. On my high school team, we had five guys make the NBA. We had the county rocking. You mentioned Prince George's County. People know what it's about. It's the mecca of basketball. There are those who come before us upon whose shoulders we stand. Being from this area, you have to have tough skin. The gym became his sanctuary. PG County guys provide buckets for America. Prince George packs a lot of power, a lot of character. It's nothing that you can do to stop that competitive edge. We're pushing the community and the culture forward. It's just in the water. This life was all I ever wanted. I'm not leaving. Not yet. I was hoping you'd say that. We gotta hit the streets, make some money. People like us must destroy people like him. Get Showtime free at Showtime.com.